Hello there. Welcome to the Leaders of Continuous Improvement podcast. My name is Arjun Patel, and you'll be hearing from the top operational experts in the industry that deal with the chaos of trying to lead projects and Kaizen events that improve processes and eliminate waste. This podcast is meant to provide tangible advice, case studies, interpretations, and ideologies of all things continuous improvement. It really does take transformational change to do a continuous improvement manager's job. So, welcome to the Leaders in CI podcast. On today's episode, we'll be asking the question, what is the future of Lean after COVID-19? And to help us answer this question, we've invited special guest, Professor Bob Emiliani. Bob, he started off his career in engineering and now is a professor at Connecticut State University and is one of the leading experts in continuous improvement. Now, let's hear from Bob himself. I started off in engineering and then, uh, uh, you know, climbed a step in the ladder there in engineering into a management position. But uh, then I soon decided I want to try other things. I had some curiosities about other parts of the business. So I moved into a, a business unit manager role in manufacturing. And, and our particular business unit was at the time uh, in the mid nineties, uh, utilizing the services of Shingajitsu uh, Kaizen consultants. And so that is where I first learned about uh, uh, Toyota's production system and their way of management thinking, as well as uh, um, you know, other aspects that are critical to uh, successful transformation of an organization. And that it was a transformative experience. I mean, in, in learning about Kaizen and Toyota production system, it was just a wonderful experience. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it seems like, seems like uh, uh, you, know, you know, TPS is a lot, a lot of what like continuous improvement talks about, you know, um, every single job posting about hiring a continuous improvement manager is about how, how do we implement a TPS type of model. So I, I guess, how was that experience um, going in there? And like, what were some of the things that you learned during your, your time there? or time learning about TPS? Well, yeah, I mean, in, you know, during the Kaizen, you, you learn how to create flow, how to create material and information flow, eliminate the queue time, connect up the processes, co-locate the people, and so on. And, you know, all of our problems uh, magically disappeared. I'm exaggerating just a little bit, but I mean, we always, <laughs> had, we always had quality problems, late parts, uh, cost too much, and we had safety issues, and, and so, uh, and lead time problems. And so when we connected up the processes, uh, it, these things just uh, started to evaporate and we were no longer always late on the parts and the cost went down and the quality was up and the safety was up and the lead time was reduced. And, you know, it's just uh, mind boggling what we were able to accomplish in the space of, you know, four or five days of Kaizen that we could not have achieved uh, previously in years of, you know, dealing with our processes as we then understood them. So, yeah. um, and, you know, the thing that amazed me about this too, was it's a different approach to leadership in a, uh, in, you know, within the TPS construct or a lean construct, how you lead an organization. And that was a particularly uh, interesting aspect for me because it was a number of other business unit managers at the time and some where uh, obviously changing in response to uh, what was necessary uh, in terms of it to improve processes and others were uh, not so 
you know, really not changing their leadership style at all and their understanding of things. So uh, that was a fascinating aspect of it to see who, basically who, who went with the change and who didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, and right now we're, we're going through one of the, like, the biggest changes possible but more externally facing, right, with uh, COVID-19 affecting a lot of these industries. So well, I guess what, what's your take on like COVID-19 and um, how, how do you feel it's affecting uh, a lot of businesses right now, especially in industrial sectors? Well, it's decimated, you know, service businesses, of course, and the, uh, the manufacturing businesses are, are being impacted as well, either through lack of demand or if there is demand for their uh, uh, stuff they produce, then there's the problem of keeping the workers uh, safe and healthy, and there's been a number of businesses that have closed, has had to close down because of the um, of the COVID-19 just just infecting so many people uh, in their business. And so uh, right now, um, you know, there's 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 a huge impact. I don't think people are thinking a whole lot about lean. It's more in survival mode. mode. It's an emergency. You know, yeah. what do we do? How do we uh, keep the wheels on the cart for the next few months and so on? Um, it's a very yeah. difficult situation. Yeah, it, it's extremely difficult. And, you know, um, I, I've talked to uh, plenty of like continuous improvement managers right now. And uh, you're right, you know, not a lot of people are thinking about lean right now. They're just thinking about, you know, how do we get product out the door as quick as possible? Um, yeah. And almost ignoring processes in, in the way. But uh, ironically, you know, having to focus on processes could probably help them in this time frame. Yeah. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, when you have an emergency, the thing you do is you eliminate queue time and you eliminate steps in the process. And that's what's happening here. And then, of course, when you're, when you're undergoing a lean transformation, you do it in a more you know, measured and structured way uh, to make sure that you're still you know, in compliance with whatever the requirements are. But you're eliminating unnecessary steps and queue time and so forth. And the question always arises, if, if, if none of this, uh, let's say, uh, let's characterize it as red tape and so forth, which is actually what queue time is and extraneous steps in a process is basically red tape. If you can eliminate red tape now, why can't you do it all the time? And, yeah. uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see when things get back to normal, whenever that is, let's just say a year from now, that you'll see a lot of the uh, queue time creep back in and extra steps in the process creep back in. Mm -hmm. And that's done for the purpose of uh, financial and managerial control of processes. But again, in, a, in an emergency and when you're trying to be responsive to people and get what they want, when they want it, in the amount wanted and so forth, basically just in time, yeah. uh, you know, we can respond to that. But, but then in, when times go back to normal, it's basically back to a type of batch and queue processing with lots of queue time and many steps added into the process. back to status quo essentially yeah uh, it's, it's uh, and and we we never learned this lesson because you know in world war one world war two with the production of munitions in order to build you know a bomber every four hours or whatever they whatever it was you have to you know eliminate all these extraneous steps get rid of the queue time connect up the processes teamwork and so on and when times go back to normal forget about it yeah <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, it, it's interesting because um, I, I've been reading a lot about, you know, like uh, uh, how, how things are flowing right now and like how people are eliminating processes. Like, what do you feel, well, what do you think is, is the future of what's going to happen after COVID-19? I know you mentioned briefly, you know, things are probably going to go back to status quo, but um, where do you see the biggest opportunities of 
of how lean could be actually applied or how it would it could evolve essentially well businesses as well as consumers are being hurt really hard economically and so it, it it's uh you know the recovery of business and has to i you know we would hope to include um process improvements so you can reduce your costs and potentially reduce prices because people don't have so much money in their pocket. And so lean should be part of business recovery plans. Uh, but at, I, you know, if, if it's not on the radar screen at the moment, I don't know if it will, you know, get become part of the re recovery plans or not, but um, it, it really should be. And, and to, you know, now's a golden opportunity to figure out what processes are really necessary, what can be eliminated and so on. A huge opportunity. Uh, whether people will take advantage of that, uh, you know, I have my, my doubts because I think, um, granted, in an emergency, there's a lot of creativity and innovation, and, and you know, people are, are eliminating the extraneous steps and queue time and so forth. But also, in a time of emergency, there is a tend to a tendency to be more, um, you know, tight, tightly controlling of things as well, and so that could affect. Uh, um, how this plays out in the future. Just to recap of what Bob has said during this conversation so far, uh, he says a lot of manufacturers during this period, during co coronavirus, have been just going back to status quo and focusing more on yield and getting products out or services out as quick as possible. Uh, but he's saying there is a large opportunity to relook at your SOPs, your procedures, and even the way that you do things in your processes uh, to adapt to this new world. I asked Bob, how can managers or managerial team uh, adjust to this and invoke uh, lean and business continuity? Here's what he had to say about it. Well, one thing that we're finding is that the organizations that do lean pretty well, they're, they're better able to adapt and respond to this changing circumstance. Uh, things like just-in-time and lean are taking a big hit lately because people are saying the supply lines are disrupted and so forth. But it doesn't matter what, you know, when, when demand goes up three, four, five times, you know, there isn't a situation that can deal with it at all, period. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's just, it, it's out of, out of the realm. But, um, but, but, you know, we have growing evidence uh, that, that these companies who understand lean well, and this is part of the purpose behind lean is just to be more flexible, adaptable, responsive, People uh, in companies that do lean well have a lot of, you know, innovative uh, capability, creativity, using human ingenuity to solve problems quickly. And so anyway, they're just able to, to respond better. So I would hope that some of those examples uh, become known so that business leaders can see that and say, well, part of business continuity and being better prepared in the future would include lean management so that we develop a, a, the human resource capability to react and respond in, in better ways than we did in the past. Yeah, de definitely. And well, what do you think are some things to that invoke like, you know, rapid change? Like why are these organizations um, best fit to, to adapt um, really quickly versus ones that um, take a long time to adapt? Well, one of the things, again, in the organizations that do lean well, they practice uh, Kaizen and in particular, a, a what I call Toyota style Kaizen, which is a, a kind of a unique form of Kaizen that uses a lot of uh, creativity and ingenuity. Uh, we spend ideas instead of dollars to, to solve problems and we um, work together as a team to do it quickly. So the typical 
uh, pathway to improvement in a, in, a, in a regular company is to turn this into a bunch of projects that take one or two or three months to complete. Mm-hmm. And in, in, the, uh, in the lean companies, they, they face the same problems, but they're dealing with it in you know, two or three days or five days, something like that. So their, their, their ability to comprehend the problem and figure out what to do about it is, is much, uh, it's a much more condensed uh, amount of time that that takes. And they come up with brilliant solutions, you know, I mean, just, you know, mind boggling because they're allowed to experiment and try things and experiment yeah. and try things very quickly, not in the, on the scale of, um, of, of many weeks or months. Uh, and this is something that doesn't come across well in the, in the books about uh, TPS and lean is the time scale for improvement is, is, is short. It's very quick. It's today, you know, yeah. not, not, not next week or next month. You know, it's now let's figure it out. Now we, we recognize a problem at nine in the morning. Let's uh, let's correct it by 2 PM. You know, let's try out a bunch of different five or 10 different ideas between 9 AM and 2 PM. This is something really interesting that Bob mentioned right here. Uh, continuous improvement and lean is about rapid iteration and a lot of times manufacturers they put on these huge initiatives that might take three or four months that uh, might not result in any improvement i guess the key to remember is try try starting in smaller increments Uh, maybe an idea that takes one hour to uh, introduce and execute and see if it has any net positive results Here's an analogy that I, I brought up in our conversation. Yeah, exactly. Like just a rapid iteration. I, I know like I, I work in, in software. Like, uh, so uh, we, we actually took that type of methodology and applied it to like what uh, Agile is, right? Agile yep, and software exactly. engineering. And yep. um, it, it's funny how it came straight from manufacturing. A lot of manufacturers still haven't implemented this sort of uh, mindset. Um, so I guess, uh, to mindset, do, do you feel, you know, uh, introducing this type of uh, uh, fast iteration process is led um, top down or is it bottoms up? Well, it's, it's wonderful if it's led top down. And this is one of the things that the, 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 the world's premier Kaizen consultants is, teaches people how to recognize a problem quickly and then how to, how to do something about it. And, but you know, bureaucracy gets in the way and it's like people are allowed to experiment during, let's say a Kaizen week. But then when the, the formal official Kaizen week is over, people go back to business as usual and management for whatever reason is okay with that. And it's like the, everything that everybody learned that week in terms of recognizing a problem and how to correct it and using creativity and ingenuity just evaporates. And sometimes yeah. you wonder why is management paying a Kaizen consultant to teach people things that when the consultant leaves, uh, they go back to normal. A management has to follow up with, with, uh, you know, employees and say, let's apply what we learned here. And let me apply what I've learned here too, as a manager in terms of solving problems quickly. And and you mentioned that in um, the books that you just uh, came out, came out with, right? Irrational institutions, management, uh, Mysterium and classical management, uh, lean management. Yeah, try the triumph of classical management over lean management. Yeah, there's a series of three books. It was first uh, it came out kind of in rapid order here: triumph of classical management, then irrational institutions, and then management mysterium, and all of which speak to the the problem of of you know why don't business leaders absolutely you know love lean? Why 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 do they prefer classical management? 
And so the books get into all the uncomfortable details of why uh, classical management is preferred over lean management. And we have so much empirical data that lean is better in every dimension uh, for a business in terms of all the K KPI, key KPIs and metrics and human resource development and customer satisfaction and so forth. But yet uh, classical management is you know, deeply entrenched and those books go into the different reasons why. And one, one gets into sort of the you know, rights and privileges of leaders. Another one looks at the, uh, the, the rate, you know, this sort of ever-changing uh, nature of rational and irrational thinking and how they interact with one another, as well as the aesthetics, uh, a very unique look at aesthetics in business and how that entrenches the status quo. And then the spiritual um, uh, underpinnings of leadership and management and how that also perpetuates the status quo. And I mean secular spiritual, not not religious spiritual. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I guess uh, one of the things that I've seen, you know, like it, it's no secret. Sometimes lean implementation fails. And um, yeah. what what do you think is are like the biggest factors? Do you think it's just like the top down um, uh, like management team not being on board, or are there other uh, factors that lead to um, those type of implementations failing or not being adopted as well? Yeah, that's a big, so I, I refer to it as the, there's a process for lean transformation and you basically have a situation where the process failed. And because technically, you know, lean itself doesn't fail because lean, lean isn't, uh, you know, it, 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 it happens through people. Yeah. Anyway, so yes, the leaders are very important to be involved in, in the transformation because the leaders have to learn new things. They have to learn new things that have a technical nature, they have to learn new things in a managerial and leadership nature and human interaction and so on. And so if, if, if instead a company leader say, lean is really important, we need to do this, a lot of times that means the we, it means you, mm -hmm. the, the workers in the, in the organization and us, the leaders, don't have to do anything different. And when that happens, you see very little uh, uh, gain as a result of process improvement, because people understand that it's not for real and the leaders are not engaged and so on. But yeah. getting, the, getting the leaders engaged, I mean, they you know basically have to get their hands dirty. And when you're in a leadership position, it's, the attitude is, uh, you know, been there, done that. I'm now in this leadership role and that's not something I should be uh, doing anymore. What Professor Bob is saying is, is particularly intriguing because I've heard this with a lot of other continuous improvement managers. Uh, the reason why it fails is due to the fact that managers don't want to get their hands dirty um, along with the frontline workers. They don't want to invoke the cultural change with the frontline workers. And this is something that we're going to go in depth with in our next episode with uh, Director of Continuous Improvement Manager uh, Vitali. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll dive deep more into this uh, for the next episode. Now back to our conversation. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I dissect that perspective and attitude entirely in the, you know, between those three books. Yeah, I. Uh, that that's exactly like what um, what I've, I've been discussing with some of my other uh, colleagues as well is, uh, you know, just to recap a lot of what you said, you know, like there are multiple uh, strategies to implement lean and it's just not like lean is like a very broad term, you know, it, it could segment, uh, it could spider web into different, very, very different things. Um, but uh, you mentioned something, particularly something important is 
it involves like uh, employee empowerment in a sense, right? But then employee empowerment only happens when it's driven by leadership um, to be at the front lines rather than uh, just in their back office uh, giving out orders. They have to adopt it and then um, in, from their adoption uh, comes with, uh, comes employee empowerment. That's right. And part of that empowerment is, the, you know, allowing employees to recognize what a problem is without having a dependency on, on you know, management to say, I agree it's a problem or not, you know, because managers mm-hmm. aren't there dealing with the process. And then also allowing them to do some rapid experimentation to find, uh, to find uh, good solutions to the problem that uh, help prevent its recurrence. And so it requires, you know, it requires allowing employees to experiment and a lot of leaders just don't want employees to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a a strong sense of, of control that uh, they want to have, but you know, lean is about giving people um, the the free will to be able to improve their processes um, when they see um, problems occur or when they see the opportunity for improvement. Yeah, that's right. And the employees have, you know, a good sensibility not to do, you know, crazy things or wreck things. They know better yeah. than doing that. You know, these are usually, you know, small changes that have a, have a big positive impact. Mm-hmm. And so you just have to allow them, give them the freedom to go, to go do that. And, and there's a lot of training and development. You learn this through the process of Kaizen of, again, how to recognize a problem and the, the, the means and methods for go, going about to correct that, that problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, speaking of, of people and, you know, like empowering people, it seems, um, a, a big by factor of, of, uh, this pandemic happening is, you know, increased interest in automation from the management team. Um, yeah. so, so, so I guess what, what are your thoughts on, on that, you know, like the role of automation and, and like the role of people in a new accelerated automated world? Well, I mean, you know, fundamentally in the, in the understanding of lean that machines are there to assist humans, not to take over the job as humans, except in the case where the work happens to be hazardous to human health. Yeah. But for, for, you know, several years now, and really throughout the history of, you know, since the industrial revolution, managers are always looking to replace labor with machines. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though some of those machines are very expensive and cost more than what labor would cost. There's, there's always a drive to eliminate the labor. And now with machine and, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning and things like that, and robots and other forms of automation, uh, leaders of companies have been thinking about how to bring those into the business for some years now. And I think the pandemic is simply going to accelerate that, uh, that in a big way. I mean, it's going to move that drive to invest in those kinds of technologies much faster because the, the reasoning will be simple. It'll be, uh, look what happens when people get sick. They don't show up to work and, you know, we can't do our thing and uh, produce our product or service. So um, there's going to be a very simplistic outlook on that, that that coincides with the long, you know, 250 year uh, view that uh, we get machinery to replace people. And again, that's that's typical of what you would see in classical management. Mm-hmm. Not the attitude that you would see in lean management. Lean management is much more judicious about the use of machines and automation and so forth, and really puts a critical eye on it to say, you know, is, is it, does this really work? Is does it really do a, a, the job we think it does? Are there hidden costs to this? Um, you know, if you automate everything, then you're stuck with a system that's 
very difficult to improve. Yeah. And so the combination of, you know, humans and, and equipment, uh, you know, so-called man-machine interaction is, is, is a focus of, of Kaizen. And if you just have machines, then, you know, you're not going to get improvement. Yeah, I, you're, you're essentially stuck in um, a very rigid flow and it doesn't really allow you to adapt as quickly. And automation, um, I, I think you said it beautifully, you know, it's, uh, it's not necessarily a replacement. It's a tool, a mechanism that um, people use to accelerate or um, to, to help different types of processes. But you still need that contextualization from the people. And we're now, still... Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, well, I was just going to say, it's very important to, to be careful here because a lot of business leaders and economists and other people are saying that the machines will be uh, not be replacing people. They will be used to help people do their work. And that's a lot of that is uh, just sort of by, um, uh, you know, warming people up to the idea of machines and, and being more ubiquitous in the workplace with an eye to replace people. You know what I'm saying? Mm, so I, I see. You know, they're, they're, they're sort of given the soft sell here, but what's behind the scenes <laughs> is real hard drive to eliminate workers from, you know, from those yeah, so that narrative is not really coming from like a, a genuine place. It's coming from a, a, like, this is probably the beachhead to start the process of, of replacement, essentially. That's correct. And, and there's evidence, you know, in lean businesses where you see the complementary nature of people and machines. And so they have the track record of understanding that, that machines are, are just not a replacement for, for people in, a, in every case. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think that that's, that's something that, that could be another podcast in itself, you know, exploring uh, w what the relationship is between humans and machines. Yeah, indeed. Machines are. We covered a lot about automation, you know, what is lean man management, you know, what, what are factors that lead to success in lean management. Now uh, I spoke to Bob about, you know, what is the future of lean and, you know, uh, where do we go from here, especially after coronavirus? And this is what he had to say. I think that, uh, um, you know, I've written a number of books and, um, you know, promoting lean and so forth and providing the empirical evidence that says, here's why this is a good thing. And in more recent years, I've been focused on why leaders are not so interested in this. And I think that, um, it, you know, People, MBA students in particular, you know, would be would be wise to understand really what's going on and why classical management, what it is and why it, it perpetuates a status quo and so forth. But in parallel with that, I think because of COVID-19, we also have to understand that some of the foundation upon which Lean was built is really no longer relevant. And it really was built on a foundation of, you know, business thinking and business, business logic. And what we're learning from COVID-19 is uh, that it probably lean probably needs to be rebuilt on a new foundation that focuses more on you know human human needs and human interests and humanity and so on, and the the, the better practitioners of lean management uh, you know have somewhat of a foundation in that, but generally the the the, the executive level understanding of lean management uh, um, needs to change, and um, I fear that you know. The, the forces that have resisted lean in the past are likely to resist lean in the future. And so I think it's very important for people who want to, who are uh, 
who favor lean and who want to see it advance and prosper and become more ubiquitous really need to understand what those uh, visible and invisible forces that prevent progress are. And those were the three books we mentioned earlier, Triumph of Classical Management, Irrational Institutions, and Management Mysterium. Uh, because it, can, it's, it does so many good things for people. It's not perfect, you know? Mm -hmm. but, but in these companies that do lean, you see a much better outcome overall for all the key uh, stakeholders. You see a better outcome for the employees, for suppliers, for customers, for investors, community, the company itself. Um, just it's a better, a better outcome for everybody. So, you know, why wouldn't you do it? Well, it turns out there's some deep seated reasons why that happened, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, we're working at trying to, to peel back the onion here and expose what's going on so we can think of new, new ways to approach this problem. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be interesting on like, uh, rebuilding a lot of what the foundation of lean is, uh, going forward. And, um, uh, I'm pretty sure you, you explore a lot of that in your book, uh, uh, three books as well, um, even though it, it was like an indirect effect. But I, essentially, I, I think you're right. You know, uh, the foundation of lean is completely going to be rewritten. And um, I, I think taking a human centric approach is it, it's it's funny because like um, when I first learned about Kaizen and TPS and everything, it, it was almost a human centric approach there. And then it slowly yeah. uh, started drifting away from the human centric approach. And now I think we're going to go back into um, uh, this, the original foundations of what Lean was built on, um, but applied in the forefront rather than like the background of it. Yeah, well, the, you know, the pre-pandemic way of looking at Lean was do good things for the company and hope that good things happen for customers. And the post-pandemic view needs to be do good things for people, which is employees, suppliers, customers, investors, and so on excuse me, employees, suppliers, customers, knowing that good things will then happen to the company and its investors. So. That's, that's an interesting point. Um, and, and I think a lot, of, a lot of companies, a lot of manufacturers tend to ignore that type of thinking. And um, there have been countless amounts of uh, anecdotes uh, happening in history within even just manufacturing, like, the, um, like Alcoa, they, the CEO, um, focus on like a safety uh, first approach, um, yeah. focusing on people, worker safety and people more than anything. And then their net worth, um, uh, their market cap uh, quadrupled from, like, I think it was like 3 billion to uh, $9 billion or $27 billion um, by the time uh, he, he left the company because they focus on one keystone habit, which is worker safety. And I, yeah. I think you'll see more uh, habits of that if people um, shift their focus on having that type of mindset. Yep, I agree. So the question we originally asked in the beginning of the podcast was, what does lean look like after COVID-19? And according to Professor Bob Emiliani, it seems that we're going to have to rewrite the foundations of lean to be more human centric, which I completely agree with. And if you want to learn more information about what this means or what the rewrite of lean is going to look like, you could check out Bob's book, The Triumph of Classical Management Over Lean Management, Irrational Institutions, and Management Mysterium. Uh, I'll put a link below in this podcast, but if you have any more questions, you could reach out to Bob directly. His website is bobemiliani.com, which I also put a link in. 
Thanks for joining the Leaders in Continuous Improvement podcast. In the next episode, we'll be covering how to think about and apply other CI strategies, see what strategies have worked and what strategies have failed with our featured guest, Vitaly, who's the Director of Continuous Improvement at Walmart. Make it a great day or not, the choice is yours. Thanks everyone. Thank you.